Okay, it gives me really great pleasure to introduce our guest speaker this morning. Uh, he's been all over the country doing various festivals, including just recently New Wine. Uh, we had the pleasure of having him stay with us uh, last night. Uh, he's a great friend of ours, great friend of Ellsbury Vineyard, and we're so privileged to have him. Would you give a really warm Ellsbury Vineyard kind of welcome to Andy Kind? Thank you, Thank you very much. It's really nice uh, to be back here. I've been here so many times in different guises. Uh, I am in disguise this morning. I have a beard, which you weren't expecting, were you? I've come... Uh, it is me, though, still Andy Kind. I am not uh, Richard from Guess Who, the uh, popular board game character. Uh, if, yeah, I know I look exactly like him, but it's not, it's not me. Um, just so I have an idea of um, who I've seen before, because it's nice to see some familiar faces... Put your hands up if you've either seen me preach before or if you haven't. Okay, so not everyone. Uh, Schrodinger's audience in this morning. That's great. So, um, it's amazing to be with you. I love Aylesbury Vineyard. Uh, and you still do the best welcome and the best donuts and coffee uh, of any church I've preached in. So, uh, so well done and thank you. Um, now, when I was 22... Something happened to me that I didn't really expect or particularly want to happen, which is that I became a Christian. Uh, part of me was absolutely gutted. Now, don't get me wrong, I was, never, I was never an atheist. I was never an atheist. I always believed, always believed there was someone out there bigger than me. But being raised in the 80s and 90s, I assumed it was probably Pavarotti. So I didn't know. I was never an atheist, but I think I wanted something else to be true. I think when I got to the age of 22, I wanted another story to be true. Because it's not easy being a Christian in the West in 2019. England 2019, it's not easy. A lot of my friends will say, a lot of my atheist friends will say, Andy, we like you and the beer's looking great, but Christianity is ridiculous. Christianity is ridiculous. And you know what? When someone says to me that what I believe is ridiculous, I have to say, correct. It is. I don't know if you thought about it, those of us who are Christians. Have you thought about how ridiculous the Christian story is? It's the idea... It's a rhetorical question. Don't feel like you have to answer all of these. <laughs> the idea that God took on human form, came to find us in our midst, lived the perfect life, allowed himself to be killed, and then three days later rose from the dead, overturning death, so that somehow you and I could have the relationship that we were supposed to have with him. That's not just ridiculous, it's bonkers. It's absolutely, it's Arkham Asylum insane. Now don't get me wrong, my entire life is committed to convincing other people, persuading other people that that is in fact the true story that the universe is telling. But it doesn't mean that I don't think it's ridiculous. But you know what? Two things to say. First of all, for something to be true, I don't have to understand it. I don't have to understand something for it to be true. If something's only true, if I understand it, what I'm really saying is, I am God. I am the Lord. And in a few months' time, I'll look like one of those depictions of him in, children, in children's books. I know I will. But I am not the Lord. If I'm saying that something is only true because I understand it, then essentially I'm God, because I have all knowledge. 
So something doesn't have to be understandable by me for it to be true. Second of all, second of all, every worldview is ridiculous. Every worldview is ridiculous. Whatever worldview or religion you pick, at some point you will reach a stage where it doesn't make any sense, where you can't comprehend it. Let's take the creation of the universe. Every worldview has to at some point engage with the creation of the universe. Now, scientists will tell us that currently there are only two options for how the universe came into being. There's two options. The first one is that the universe was created by something or someone outside of itself. Something or someone that would have to be massively powerful, timeless, immaterial, as in not having a body. Something that we might call God, small g, if you want. Now, some of you won't like that, so you have one other option, which is this. The universe created itself out of nothing. And we know from the sound of music that nothing comes from nothing, nothing ever could. Julie Andrews has taught us that. (laughs) And she's practically perfect in every way. (laughs) But honestly, according to science, those are the two options. Either the universe was created by God, we're not at Jesus Christ yet. But either the universe was created by God, or out of nothing, nothing created everything for no purpose. Both of those views are ridiculous. One of them's true. Whether you like it or not, one of those is the origin story for how we got here. You know, Christians believe in the virgin birth of Jesus. Atheists believe in the virgin birth of the universe. Pick your miracle. Pick a miracle. So, you know, when I was 22, I became a Christian because what happened at the age of 22, I went searching for meaning as we all do at some point. At some point, we all want to know where we came from, why we're here and where we're going. And I didn't know what I believed, my friends. I didn't know what I believed about the big story the universe is telling. Because, you know, if we can just agree that every worldview is ridiculous, if we can at least call it nil-nil... We are still left with the reality that something about the universe is true. Life is a true story. It might not be a very good one, but it's a true story. Your life is happening. The universe is real. Something about the universe is true. There is a story out there that explains the universe. It might be atheism. It might be theism. It might be Jesus Christ. It might be the Jedis. Who knows? If we can agree that it's nil-nil, we're still left with the reality that something is true about the universe. And I didn't know, when I was 22, I didn't know what I thought about the big story that the universe is telling. I didn't know what I believed about that. But I knew there were certain things that I knew and believed about myself. If you want, my little story. We all have a little story. Things that we know that are true about ourselves. And what we really want to know is which of those big stories out there makes the most sense of what we know to be true about ourselves. Like two halves of an amulet that come together and magic spells happen like in Aladdin and the Scarab Beetle. Tough crowd. (laughs) Not a Disney crowd, clearly. There were things that I knew were true. I knew that I believed in love, not just love, unconditional love. I believed that I didn't want to be rejected because of who I am or what I do. I knew I believed that some things were objectively, bindingly wrong. I knew that abusing a child is always wrong and never just a matter of opinion. 
I knew that I was wired for things like freedom and joy and purpose and hope. These aren't just things that I understand the meaning of the words. I don't just know the words. I know the meaning of the sensation associated with them. And you see, these things, love and freedom and purpose, you recognise these things by their absence as much as by their presence. This is why you know they're part of your little story. You know you believe in unconditional love when you feel rejected. You know you believe in purpose when you feel like your life is going nowhere. You know you believe in freedom when you feel trapped. Being trapped is the absence of freedom. These things are noticeable by their absence as much as by their presence. My little story is the same as your little story. We all believe that these things are true. Whatever the universe is trying to tell us, we know we believe in unconditional love. We believe in freedom that we're wired for it. We want purpose. We want joy and hope. We know that death feels unnatural. Death feels unnatural. We know that some things are right and some things are wrong. And as I went searching for meaning, as I looked at all the big stories on offer, I came to the conclusion that actually there's only one story out there that comes close to making any sense of what I know to be true about myself, what I hope to be true about the universe, and what I desire for my future. And like it or not, it's the story of Jesus Christ. It's the story of God coming to find us when we felt like nothing and offering us everything. And so, you know, for the last three years I've been preaching, you guys know me, most of you as a a comedian, for the last three years I've been preaching, um, and for the last... 15 years, I've been trying to show people that Jesus is true, and I've made loads of mistakes because in the past, early on, if you were a non-Christian and I was a Christian and we had a coffee, I would have said things like, because it would have started by you saying, okay, Andy, there's a lot of worldviews out there, there's a lot of religions, what makes you think that Christianity is true? Show me that you are right. Show me that what you believe is true. True. Some people say, show me that you're right. And let me tell you, I don't think I'm right. Christianity, the truth of Christianity, doesn't stand or fall on whether I believe in it or not. So I don't think I'm right, but I do believe Christianity is true. So you would say, show me. And in the past, I would have said things like, okay, well, let me tell you about miracles. Let me tell you about healings that I've seen. And in the last few years since I've been an evangelist, I have seen what I believe is people Healed. I was at a, a campsite in, near Chesterfield where I live recently uh, and a lady uh, had fallen over. She twisted her knee. She was in agony. She couldn't bend it. She couldn't get up. She said it had happened twice before. She'd had to go to hospital on both occasions with gas and air. So a friend of mine and myself, we put our hands on her knee. We prayed in the name of Jesus, knee be healed, all pain go now. I wasn't really in the zone. I'd been thinking about whether it was feasible to buy an otter or not. So I wasn't feeling particularly spiritual. (laughs) But this lady said that she felt an energy enter her body, through her head, pass through her body, all the pain went. She got up on her own and she was walking around perfectly fine. I believe that she was healed. I also believe that we can hear God's voice. I was on a train and this guy, 21-year-old, let's say he was 21, 22, young white guy sat down next to me and I heard in my heart... um, his name's Martin, just tell him that I love him. And I laughed because I thought, he's not, co- sorry, he's not called Martin. No one at the age of 22 is called Martin. <laughs> he's not called Martin. I've probably been YouTubing Martin Clunes videos, and why not? He's a great actor. But I thought, 
He's not called Martin. I'm not going to say anything. Later on in the journey, this guy gets out his bank card. He is called Martin. And at this point, I can't say anything. So this is not a good story of success. I didn't say anything because it was too late by that point. You can't say, excuse me, are you, are you called Martin? <gasps> How did you know that, Darren Brown? It doesn't work like that, does it? <laughs> so I would have said things like this to try and convince other people that Jesus was true. But what you would rightly say in these situations is, okay, Andy, I don't think you're a liar but I'm not going to change my entire worldview because you've seen a healing or you claim to have heard God's voice rather than Martin Clunes. I'm not changing my worldview because of that. And so what I might have done then is say, okay, but let's look at the Bible. I think I can show you that the Bible has not been corrupted. It hasn't been doctored. We have a faithful translation of what was written down 2,000 years ago. And I might be successful at that. But again, you would still rightly say, so what? Okay, you've shown me that the Bible hasn't been doctored, but all you've really succeeded in doing is showing me that 2,000 years ago, a small group of people in the Middle East believed that Jesus was God. It doesn't actually mean that he was. You see, you'd be right to say that, because on both of those occasions, what I'm doing is, I'm trying to use something that you don't know about <laughs> to convince you of something else that you don't know about. I'm inserting an unnecessary middleman. I'm using something you have no experience of to try and show you that something else you haven't experienced is completely true and you should change your life accordingly. And it's not good enough. So how about this? Instead of me using wacky stories or conservative evangelical Bible notes to convince you that Jesus is true, why don't we just keep it more simple? Why don't we just look at your story? Why don't we look at your little story and simply ask, which of the big stories makes sense of that? Because as I say, your little story is the same as mine. You believe in unconditional love. If you've got kids, you know you love them unconditionally. And you would die so that they could live. You know that some things are objectively wrong. You see, one of the great lies of our society is the meaning of life is to give life meaning. Which sounds great and takes about 10 seconds to disprove. Because if the meaning of life is simply to give life meaning, if life has no objective, fundamental meaning, and we have to create it for ourselves, then in a couple of months' time, when it's Remembrance Sunday, Steve, you should come up here and you should celebrate Hitler. Because Hitler gave his life meaning. A little man from Austria is one of the most successful people our species has ever created by accident. Think about it. He captivated the hearts of an entire nation. He took on the greatest powers in the world and nearly won. He nailed it. But the problem is, it's not a problem, it's a good thing, is that nobody in this room and nobody that anyone in this room knows thinks that that's okay. You all know, you don't just believe, you know that that is wrong. When Hitler exterminated six million Jews, he wasn't operating out of random free will. It wasn't a matter of opinion. He was wrong. It was wrong. Because that's what evil is. That's what evil does. Evil tramples life. When Hitler killed six million Jews, he didn't create meaning. He trampled it by trampling life. Evil tramples life. Imagine if there was a story out there where life itself came and trampled death. Would you like that? 
So you know that. You know that you're wired for purpose. You want to have purpose. You want to have freedom. You want to have joy. You know that death feels unnatural. You know that when you listen to music, it's transcendental. It takes you outside of yourself to something bigger. You know the power of forgiveness, that when someone forgives you or you forgive someone else, it feels amazing. And when there isn't forgiveness, you can't have a relationship. You can't have a business relationship, a friendship or a marriage where one party won't forgive the other. The understanding and apprehension of the power of forgiveness is wired into us and wired into our society. There are lots of things that you believe to be true about yourself. And so my question is to you, which big story makes the sense, the best sense of your little story? Is it atheism? You know, atheism might be true. Any of these worldviews might be true. But atheism makes the least sense the least sense of what you know to be true about yourself, what you hope to be true and desire to be true for your future and for the universe. Because if atheism is true, then there is no right, there is no wrong, there's no justice, there's no judgment, there's just survival. Survive as long as you can, as well as you can. Hitler, if atheism is true, didn't do anything wrong. He actually was one of the most successful members of our species. Because you know who I mean by Hitler, don't you? You don't think I mean Jimmy Hitler, who works at the chip shop down the road and really needs to change his surname. You know who I mean. If atheism is true, Hitler didn't do anything wrong. Hitler understood better than most of you that we are simply protoplasmic sacks of chemicals with a limited sell-by date. Hitler knew that. So if atheism is true, Hitler didn't do anything wrong. If atheism is true, then you do have a purpose. Your purpose is to pass on your genes to the next generation. Ain't no party like an S-club party. But that's your purpose. That's your purpose. If atheism is true, then you are free. You're free to be a protoplasmic sack of chemicals, a series of atoms and molecules randomly collected together, dancing off against other randomly collected groups of molecules until you you reach your great reward which on atheism is extinction. <laughs> that's, that's the good news of atheism, my friends. Annihilation. Whether you die at 92 years of age after a joy-filled life of humanitarian aid work or you die screaming in pain at nine minutes, your reward is the same. Annihilation, extinction, obliteration. Why? I'll tell you why. Because the universe doesn't love you. The universe isn't sure why it created itself, let alone why you're here. We are all the imposters at a party who weren't invited and didn't even bring tiramisu. That's all of us. (laughs) The universe doesn't love you. And death shouldn't feel unnatural on atheism because not only is death a natural part of life, it's actually the great hero of the story. It's actually the great hero of your story. Because you want to believe that love wins. You believe love should win, but I'm sorry if atheism is true, hashtag death wins every single time. Death is the cowboy riding off into the sunset. Death is the bridegroom waiting for us at the end of the aisle. Death always wins, always. And that might be true, but you don't want it to be. And you don't believe deep down that it is. But that doesn't bring us to Jesus Christ, because you know what? There's loads of religions, thousands. I'm doing this show at the moment called Hidden in Plain Sight. And this guy came up to me. I was in Bath, 
And this guy came up to me. He'd had a few drinks. And he said, mate, I loved your show. You're a very funny comedian. I said, thanks. You don't need to say that. The people at Aylesbury Vineyard know that. <laughs> there was an alpha launch which didn't go very well once for them. But apart from that, it was fine. He said, but I didn't like the bit where you talked about Jesus being the only way. He said, it sounds very exclusive. <laughs> I said, I agree that it's exclusive. <laughs> he said, because I believe, he said, I'm a practicing Buddhist, and I believe there are many ways to the Lord. I said, that's great. Tell me who this Lord is. Tell me about this Lord. Describe this Lord to me. He said, well, those the things you talked about in your show. He's hope and joy and peace and freedom and love. And I said, that sounds brilliant. I agree that God is all of those things. The problem is, my friend, you haven't described the God of Buddhism there. You have described Jesus Christ and literally nobody else. Because do you know what? On Buddhism, there is no God, on their own terms. Buddhism is an atheistic religion. Buddha was a man. He was a man who lived, and he was agnostic. He wasn't sure whether there was a God or not. So you can't say that all roads lead to God because Buddhists don't believe in God. You can't say that there's a God of love on Buddhism, that God is love, because there isn't a God to love you unconditionally. I'm sorry, we can't just make stuff up. Christianity might be as false as anything else, but if it's true, it's the only story of hope. Whether it's true or not, it's the only story of hope. It's the only story of hope for you and for the rest of humanity. He said, no, come on. That sounds a little bit exclusive. I said, no, I told you, I agree. It's exclusive. There is no religion out there, apart from one, where God loves you unconditionally. These Eastern religions, the really cool ones that everyone's really into, God's not a person. He's not personal. There's no one to love you. I don't love this stand. I like it, but I don't love it because it's not a person. I can't have a relationship with it. In the Quran, you see the thing with these guys, what we're not saying is that Christians are better than other religions. We're not saying that Christians are better than Muslims. We are saying that we believe Christianity is true, and although other religions might have some truth in them, they are not the truth. And you, and you know what? You wouldn't want them to be. You don't want there to be many ways to God. In the Quran, it says Allah doesn't love the unbelievers. It's in the text. He doesn't love the unbelievers. Even if all roads lead to God and that God is the God of Islam, most people in this room are in a lot of trouble. You're in a lot of trouble. There is no religion apart from one, apart from one, where God loves you unconditionally. And this guy said, this guy I was talking to, his name was Charlie. He said, oh, come on, man. Surely it's about compassion. I said, it's interesting. <laughs> you would say compassion. You believe that compassion is wired into us, do you? It's a thing. He said, yeah, no, you and I both know what it means. You, it's about compassion. Have some compassion. I said, do you know what compassion means, Charlie? He said, no, I don't. This is a true story. It sounds like I made it up, but it's not. It happened in a pub in Bath. The people who witnessed it are still alive today. Yeah, and you would hope so. <laughs> I said, do you know what compassion means? He said, no. I said, compassion comes from two Latin words, meaning to suffer with. Do you know how many gods offer to suffer with and for you one? Do you know how many gods tell you they love you unconditionally no matter what you have done? One. 
Do you know how many gods tell you that you can actually be forgiven so that the stuff you've done wrong and the stuff that's been done wrong to you doesn't get to define your future? One. Do you know how many gods tell you that you actually can be free, actually can have purpose and hope and joy? One. Do you know, these are all the same God, by the way. It's not a spread bet. It's all the same guy. <laughs> it's all the same guy. Whether you like it or not, it's all the same guy. Do you know how many gods tell you that you should think that death feels unnatural? Because it wasn't meant to be that way, and it won't be that way in the end. One. His name is Jesus. You see, Christianity is exclusive. I'm happy to say that. Christianity is massively exclusive because it excludes all the other religions where there isn't a God who's going to suffer with and for you. Where your cries of pain are either unheard or unheeded. I'll take that kind of exclusivity, my friends. And so should you. And so should all of your friends. Christianity is exclusive. And you should want to exclude any worldview where the creator of the universe doesn't know you and love you. You should want to exclude any worldview where you're not worth dying for. And there's only one worldview where you are. And you know his name. You see, these guys... These other religions will tell you that you can know stuff about God, but you can't actually know him. You can't know him. You can't have security. You can't be secure. Again, Muhammad in the Quran says, I do not know what will happen to me. Muhammad wasn't sure whether he'd done enough. Muhammad, the founder of Islam, peace be upon him, no disrespect, he wasn't sure he'd done enough good works to win his salvation. And you know, even if you get to heaven in Islam, God's not there. Heaven is wine and women. Which is great if you're a pirate from the 1700s. What if you're a single mother from Aylesbury? It's not good enough. It's not good enough. Gandhi. Gandhi, one of the greatest men who ever lived, said, it's an unbroken torture to me, an unbroken torture that I do not know my creator. Gandhi was expected to go through hundreds and hundreds of extra reincarnations, the only common denominator for which would have been his personal suffering until he reached his great reward, which on Hinduism is the snuffing out of the candle of desire. It's a blissful extinction, but it's extinction. Because God doesn't love you. You're not that important. And then, in John chapter 8, Jesus comes along and says, you know what? You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Well, who's the truth? What's the truth? He says, I am. I'm the way, the truth and the life. If you come to me, you can know truth, you can know freedom, you can know purpose, you can know that unconditional love that you really desire. Whether we like it or not, Christianity is the only big story that makes sense of our little story. My favourite verse in the entire Bible, and you'll never believe this, Steve, but I'm going to finish within the time you've allotted me. (laughs) Which has never happened before. Not just here, but anywhere. 
I'll have a drink of water, that's how cocksure I am. <laughs> Colossians 2.15. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he, Jesus, made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. What do we mean by powers and authorities? We mean anything dark, anything evil, anything that's trying to steal your joy and rob you of your identity. It might be addiction. It might be depression. It might be self-harm. It might be unforgiveness. It might be anxiety. You know what? These things are real. (laughs) They are real. And if you're struggling with these things, you shouldn't feel ashamed. But do you know what? Because of the cross, these things that are real, these things that are trying to kill you, because you know, you know that death is real. But death has minions. Addiction works for death. Addiction is in the employ of death. Because if something doesn't, if addiction doesn't go unchecked, it'll kill you. If unforgiveness doesn't go unchecked, it'll kill you. If fear doesn't go unchecked, it'll kill you. These things are real. But because of the cross, they don't get to win. They don't get to have the final say. They don't get to define who you are, where you come from, or where you're going. Jesus does. See, this is why we call it the gospel. It's good news. You see, I never really understood what the cross was. The cross is the thing that killed Jesus, but it is a stop sign for everything that would seek to kill you. The cross is a cosmic restraining order against the powers of death and destruction. But you've got to come to the cross. You've got to come to the cross. Not because God will be angry if you don't come to the cross, but because Every deal that's ever happened takes place somewhere. And the cross is the only place in the universe where your identity gets given back to you. Where the person you know you were born to be receives a big yes and amen, that's who you are. You are not who the world tells you you are. You are who God says you are. And the stuff he says about you is really good. So I'm hoping... I'm hoping as we think about it, you know, disagreement's not dislike. You can disagree with us and we still love you. We want to serve you. But I'm hoping as you think about it, if you hadn't been someone who would have called yourself a Christian, you might think, actually, no, maybe I've got this wrong. You might be someone who said, I've never experienced this God of love. I want to let you know if you've experienced the unconditional love of a parent to a child, you have experienced what it means to be in relationship with God. That's what it means to be made in his image. If you've desired freedom, you desired purpose, you want hope and you know what it means to have joy, you have met him because he's made you that way. And when you come into full relationship with him, when you come to the cross, the fullness of that relationship comes to pass. And it doesn't mean life will get easier practically or materially. It just means that where there was despair, now there'll be joy. Where there was, where there was death, now there's life. Where there was darkness, now there's light. Where there was disconnection, now there's love. That's what it means. I'm hoping as you think about it, you realise that, you know what, maybe I got Jesus wrong. Maybe he wasn't absent. 
Maybe he was there the whole time. Maybe he was just hidden in plain sight and I wasn't looking properly because that was my story. And maybe it'll be yours. Can we get the band back up? It doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, I want you to know that God loves you. I want you to know that you were made for relationship with him. And I want you to know, this is the hard bit actually, to experience that you have got to come to the cross. But you're so welcome. So will you? Will you come to the cross? Come to the cross, you addicts, and realise that it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Come to the cross, you self-harmers, and realise that by his wounds, your wounds are healed. Come to the cross, you depressives, and realise that in his presence is fullness of joy. Come to the cross, you adulterers, and realise that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Come to the cross, all you who have been abused, and understand that there is now neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any power neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation that can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus.